I was immediately hooked, like instantly hooked. First of all, I felt like a little kid, just like literally jumping over logs and running around. It felt so silly and playful. Uh, and, you know, number two, nobody was watching me. Nobody was timing me. Nobody was watching my fat jiggle. I was just out here doing my own thing on my own. Um, and then the, the biggest thing of all for, you know, those 30 minutes, I forgot about my problems. I forgot about my life and what was going on in it. And so I was just instantly hooked. Um, and that's, that's how I got here. It was a very long-winded version of how I got here. But um, that's how I came to running. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspects of running and what helps people to achieve success, however they define it. And this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. We are psyched to announce a new partner of the podcast, Lauren Daniels. Lauren is a realtor helping buyers and sellers in the greater Denver and Boulder area and beyond, and has been a good friend of mine for a few years now. When I decided I wanted to buy a place in Boulder and put down roots here, I was completely overwhelmed by the home buying process. Lauren was already a good friend, so when we first talked about home buying, I felt a huge sense of relief. She's a neighborhood expert, has an incredible attention to detail, available for any and all questions, and made what could be a very difficult process super easy. And now we've got a beautiful home in Boulder. It's close to the trails with a big backyard for Alfie and views of the Flatirons. So if you're even considering buying a home in the area or anywhere, I highly recommend working with Lauren. You can reach her at ldaniels at milehighmodern.com and let her know we sent you. That's ldaniels at milehighmodern.com. Thanks so much to Lauren for supporting the podcast and helping us continue to grow and for all those miles together. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Here at For The Long Run Podcast, you know we love to talk about the bigger stuff and the deeper stuff and get down to the nitty gritty of what makes life interesting and beautiful. And while a lot of what we talk about on this show is about our physical capabilities, a big part of what we believe in here at the podcast is doing the internal work. The more we can do the internal work, go to therapy and get the support we need, the better we can show up for our communities, our families, and as athletes. And that's why we're proudly sponsored by BetterHelp, because like them, we believe that therapy is for everyone. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. If you're ready to do the internal work, go to betterhelp.com slash F-T-L-R. That's betterhelp.com slash F-T-L-R to get 10% off your first month of therapy. We are back. I have Jeffrey James Binning me, Binny joining me on the podcast today. Words are hard. Um, Jeffrey, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. I'm excited to, to dive into it with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Of course. The first question is always a doozy. Uh, who is Jeffrey? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, we're working on figuring that out. He's a runner sometimes. He's a comedian sometimes. He's a husband all the time. He's a dog and cat dad all the time. Um, he is adventurous all the time. He is uh, hungry all the time. <laughs> I don't know. Does that <laughs> does that tell you anything? Yeah, that's a good starting point. Uh, it's always fun to hear how people talk about themselves and how people. Um, the different ways that they explain the many hats that they that they wear. I've I've been following your 
story for, I don't know, maybe a year now. And it's a super refreshing take on adventures and just being out there and doing cool stuff. And first, I want to thank you for, for all the good energy and good vibes you put into the world. And it's super cool to see the opportunities that um, have opened up and, and how you're able to use your platform. This specific conversation came about after you commented on an Instagram post of mine where a lovely uh, former listener said that they were sick of basically how this podcast used to be a running podcast and now we talk about important <laughs> stuff. And so that led that led to a funny little dialogue and and here we are. So yeah. um well that's I mean I guess I th- I think you might have explained uh who who I am better than I did, but I think that's, you know, as it pertains to the running world, that's my vibe and that's my purpose is to be the the average man runner. I I am I'm not a fast runner. I don't even know if I know very much about running. That being said, I run hundreds of miles occasionally. Um, and so, you know, there's a, a really cool component of 2022 and beyond where um, that part of the running community is uh, being celebrated and raised up and... Um, utilize to reach new runners and bring new people into the space. Um, you know, there's two very, um, in some way opposing niches of the, the running world, but, you know, we have the, the elite runners that it just, you know, it's just mind blowing to watch them do what they do and see how they do it. And what's that like, you know, we all, we all adore that, but turns out there's some really uh, interesting, captivating, inspiring, motivating stories out there from people who are just crossing the finish line seconds before the time cutoff. And I don't think either is any less, to me, uh, any less captivating or interesting. I, uh, I trained with Ian Sharman for a while, and he always used to say that his favorite times to be at a race finish line were to watch the, the winners finish and then to be there for the last hour before the time cut off because that last hour oh those people all have a story like and none of them are professional well maybe but most of them are not professional runners who just eased through that ultra marathon they are usually raw they're there for a really really important reason and all of that comes to a head at the finish line. So anyway, my purpose I think is to hopefully bring more people into the running world who don't think they're runners um, but actually are. Totally agree. Um, the podcast that's being released later this week is with a woman named India Cook. India's uh, goal at the New York City Marathon in 2022 was to break seven hours. And we had a fascinating conversation about the process of doing that and like being out on a marathon course for seven hours. I can't fathom what that's like. I can't fathom the tenacity that is required to like keep moving during a marathon in the dark once the tables have gone away and it's just you and the course. Um all the way to the other end where Peter Bromka, 218, 219 marathoner, actually he's a 219 marathoner, what? says that he's like, fast runners are sometimes pretty boring. And it's the it's the people chasing cutoffs that like, they need to know their why. They need to know, I mean, everyone needs to know their why. And good thing we have a podcast to explore that. Um, That's right. But it's it's fascinating the, the difference or or lack of a difference in that everyone's out there doing the same thing and everyone has different reasons for doing it. And the time has no influence on like how valid your purpose is. Yeah. 100%. 100%.
So you are a runner. What got you into running? Hmm. Well, uh, was not even a little bit an outdoorsy kid, bona fide indoor kid here. I grew up on a pig farm in rural Missouri. Uh, you know, the path was laid out for me. Uh, sons of successful Midwestern farmers take over the farm and become farmers. And that's, that's how it goes. Um, from a very early age, that clearly was not going to be my path. I was just, you know, this little husky ginger homo putting on Broadway musicals in my my family's bay window. I was in the front yard twirling batons. I was building roller coasters in the barn. I was uh, choreographing theoretical firework shows for our 4th of July party that would never happen because they required like high grade professional equipment. I just always was this weird little kid. I just was not, I was not a typical farm kid. And I also was super not athletic. I mean, not even a little bit. My parents forced us to be in uh, one sports activity until we were 15 years old. And I chose basketball as my poison, but I hated it. I hated it. I was bad at it. I remember one time my coach, I think I was in eighth grade, pulled me out of the game because I had such a bad attitude. Like I wasn't even pretending to run down the court. I was just sauntering around. I was just so over it. Um, he took me out of the game and he said, Jeffrey, when you tell me that you want to play basketball, I will put you back in the game. Uh, I never went back in the game because I wasn't going to lie to him. <laughs> So, you know, and I just kind of accepted that. I was like, that's, that's, that's cool. Like, that's who I am. That's, I'm fine with it. I was pursuing theater and the arts and that was always my vibe. And so it, it wasn't a problem for me that I wasn't athletic, that I was an indoor kid. And I moved to New York City and it took about eight, nine years of me being trapped in that urban jungle to, um, well, I lived there for that long, but it was probably just four or five years in, I kind of started to go crazy. And I realized that while I hadn't considered myself an outdoorsy person, I realized my entire childhood, I had spent so much time outdoors. And so I started cycling and that uh, itched a uh, scratched an itch. Is that what I'm trying to say? You know what I'm trying to say? Yep. That I didn't even know existed. And uh, suddenly I, I got super into cycling around uh, New York City. Very safe. And then my mom, who had been diagnosed with heart failure when I was 11, um, you know, when she was diagnosed, they just gave her a few years to live. But this was 17 years later, and she was still still trucking along. Um, but she she started to, to decline, and it was a kind of a long, year-long process. But she spent the last few months of her life in an ICU bed. And therefore, I spent the last few months of her life living in an ICU room, and I kept reading what I thought were all these obscure magazines. One of them was a Trail Runner magazine in the waiting room, and I, I would pick it up and, and, and look through it, and it, it just kind of piqued my interest. You know, things had kind of been kicked off with cycling, um, but here were these people who like were just moving literally hundreds of miles. Sometimes they were fast packing and taking a backpack with them and, you know, sleeping on a rock overnight, getting up and running again. And just these crazy stories in these ridiculously gorgeous spots. And one day on a particularly bad hospital day, we got the worst news. Um, I just like went to a running store. I broke down. I left the hospital. I went to a running store. I bought a pair of running shoes. I bought uh, the Vibram five-finger 
flat shoes for a muddy winter run in February in rural Missouri. <laughs> like the worst. Someone on the trail actually made fun of me, which I didn't realize at the time. But I ran by and he was like, oh, how are those Vibram five fingers working out for you? And I thought he was complimenting them. But years <laughs> later, it hit me. <laughs> he wasn't complimenting. <laughs> I had mud like squirting between the toes of those shoes. It was so ridiculous. But I was immediately hooked, like instantly hooked. First of all, I felt like a little kid, just like literally jumping over logs and running around. It felt so silly and playful. Uh, And, you know, uh, number two, uh, nobody was watching me. Nobody was timing me. Nobody was watching my fat jiggle. I was just out here doing my own thing on my own. Um, And then the, the biggest thing of all for, you know, those 30 minutes I forgot about my problems. I forgot about my life and what was going on in it. And so I was just instantly hooked. Um, and that's 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 how I got here. It was a very long-winded version of how I got here. But um, that's how I came to running. It's a super cool story. There are so many things that, so many directions I'd like to go. Um, I found the part about, like, you saw people having an adventure you wanted one yourself. You went out and bought shoes or toe socks. And uh, by the way, those were the first running shoes that I bought as well. In really? I think it's a common mistake. Yeah. And then I, They're and then amazing. I, a- I love them. I love wearing them just like in life, but they were not the right shoes for the occasion. <laughs> I had Chris McDougal on the podcast and I told him that I read his book, bought a pair of toe shoes, ran a half marathon and got a stress fracture. <laughs> How did he like that? He was like, you did it wrong. Well, you did it wrong. You just should have eased into it and done grass strides and stuff. But anyway, um, the sense of play and the sense of adventure that you talked about there is like, that's, that's why I do it as well. It's, it's not about the time. It's not about the, you know, it's just like being out there. I live in Boulder now and like, it's such a, like such a place to just play in the mountains or play on the trails or play in the front yard or backyard or whatever. And it's super cool that you got there from like seeing yourself doing something fun while you're in a hard place. And that led to a new, a new opportunity for you. So what, what happened the next day? Well, um, I mean, (laughs) the reality of what happened in the next handful of days, um, was that, uh, the last, really tough few weeks of my mom's life kicked off. And, um, so it was pretty, it was pretty focused on that, but I kept, I kept going for these runs and I signed up, which is how I do. Uh, I signed up for a 20 mile trail run, almost (laughs) a 20 mile, um, trail run into February in Missouri. Um, what year is this? And, um, it would have been like, uh, just at 10 years ago. So 2012. Um, I got distracted. What was I saying? Uh, so, um, how did running, what was your relationship with running over those next few weeks as you, oh, as you, yeah. So, uh, um, progress pretty typical for me. Yeah. I just went like all in, I start, I, I started going for a run every day. Uh, it didn't matter if it hurt. Uh, one day I got lost, which is hilarious now that I'm m- much more adept at navigating through super remote mountain ranges but I was in a like state park in the middle of Kansas city. Like I was not lost, but I got lost for a little over two hours. My family was about to like call the, uh, call the sheriff's department and like get some help finding me. (laughs) 
So it was just, you know, it was all those things that happened. I got lost in the woods for the first, like legitimately lost in the woods for the first time. Um, I was so sore. I bought a different pair of shoes very, very shortly thereafter. Um, but I tend to go, I tend to, I think, probably obsess over things, I would say even. So that day kicked off me just being all in. I started consuming every film I could find about running, every book I could read about running, all the websites, shopping for all the gear. Um, and then uh, a few weeks later, my mom passed away and I, I wasn't going to do the 20 miler, but I decided to nonetheless, it was about a month after she had passed away. So I went from zero to a 20 miler and seven weeks, something like that, which is not a good idea. That's <laughs> unless you already have a strong running base. I don't advise anyone go from couch to 20 in uh, in a matter of weeks, but that's what I did nonetheless. And uh, it was awful. It was miserable. It was so cold. My, my, um, my water froze and my hydration pack tube. I didn't realize that you had, you know, in the winter you need to put it under your clothes. Just like all these rookie mistakes that just, I barely finished the race thought that it, they thought that nobody was else uh, was out on the course. They told my family that I must have <laughs> finished earlier because nobody was out there. And then I came sauntering over the last hill. Um, but I loved it. And that's kind of, uh, I think a lot of people can relate, but that's a really common story for me where they're like, oh, how was your race? I'm like, oh my God, it was miserable and I can't wait to do it again. <laughs> what did the finish line feel like? Um, I feel like they're always a little like numb for me. I feel like I'm almost overcome with different emotions that I like, sometimes feel like I can't even totally process that like I just finished whatever that silly thing was that I was working on. Um, so I mean, my family was there, which was awesome. That was new for us. Our family, none of us are athletes. I was not alone in my family. Uh, none of us are athletes. None of us have ever seen a finish line of a race, a running race before. So it was very weird and new for all of us. We're like, what are we doing here with these outdoorsy athletic people? Uh, do we belong? Um, and turns out we did. Uh, but then I immediately jumped into... Uh, a 50K. And then I, I moved to Los Angeles. And so about a year later, I realized that this wasn't an itch that was going to go away uh, quickly. And I had the idea for a hundred miler. I was like, oh my gosh, can you imagine? Like, is that even possible? Um, and so I signed up as a, for a 50 miler, the North Face Endurance Challenge, north of San Francisco. Um, Rest in peace to that I, series. But that series was amazing. Yeah. Was it gone? I didn't know that. Yeah. Pre-pandemic. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only one I did, but it was one of the most, um, it was an awesome race. I really, really had a blast because it was miserable. <laughs> they had like a really unseasonable rain. And so it just threw this like unexpected wrench into the works. And the trails there are not used to having that much rain. So they, you know, they were were flooded and it was just, it was just a wild day. It was, it felt adventurous. That's what it was. Every time I say like, oh, it was miserable. It's not that it was miserable. It's that it was adventurous because something unexpected happened, which it always does. And that's, I think what I love is there's, um, you can only plan up to a point. And then I kind of enjoy the, like knowing that curveballs are going to arrive. I don't know from which direction, what velocity, but I know that I'll figure it out and, and, and survive them. I love that. Yeah, me too. Um, you've talked a lot about how running was new for you and your family and athletics in general. I I've talked a lot about how silly the sport of running is. If you think about it, we choose to do something uncomfortable 
we drink and eat things that sometimes don't taste good, but we have to in order to keep moving. And then we finish and then we do it again. And it's like a ridiculous process that is completely optional, but <laughs> we freaking love it. Um, yeah, we do. Why, why do you think you were hooked? And, and beyond the sense of adventure, you've talked about that. I've talked a lot about that as well. What, what is it about running for you that, that does it? Well, I think it has, has changed throughout the years. You know, in the beginning, it was just a desperate attempt to not end up in the same boat as my mom, to not be, she was only 58, which she, you know, she was diagnosed when I was a little kid. So I always knew her for most of my life as, as having a major illness. So when I was younger, it didn't register that she was really young to be dealing with that. Um, but now that I'm, I just hit 40, um, I'm just realizing how young 58 was. And I was just desperate to not end up in the same situation. And I was headed for it. I mean, exact same path. I mean, still have pounds to lose, still have, uh, ways in which I could be more healthy. Um, but it's a wild understatement to, to say that I'm slightly more healthy now than I was then. I'm just a completely different person in mind and body also. You know, it's not, it's not just the physical components. Um, the, the, the things that I've learned and the ways I've grown emotionally in terms of emotional maturity, emotional intelligence, all that stuff, like it just... Um, I don't know. The benefits I feel like are endless. Also, just I love the feeling of uh, physically when I'm when I'm active. The after feeling, uh, I like the. I, I think I like the the feeling on the sofa after a really long run, <laughs> maybe more <laughs> than I do the actual run. I love that my thought, my body feels good, even when it's tired and and painful. It feels productive and and I like it. Um, Those are the outdoorfins speaking. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, I mean, I know we keep we keep touching on it, but for me, like the the sense of adventure is really, really strong in my my motivations for running. I think it's also why I am drawn towards trail running versus road running. Not that there's not lots of discoveries to be made on a road in in town, especially it's one of my favorite things to do when I get to a new city is go for a run because it's such a good fast way to see uh, the city. But since I was a little kid. I've always been obsessed with uh, like adventure stories, explorers. I was so captivated by all the European explorers coming to to the West. Um, I was I'm currently uh, obsessed with Lewis and Clark. If you have any burning questions about the Lewis and Clark expedition, I either know the answer or I know where I can find you the answer. It is the best. It is the most bonkers true story that I think I have ever heard. It is, it is epic. It is absolutely epic. And also like inspiring slash simultaneously disappointing because their approach, see here I am, my friends know not to bring up Lewis and Clark. Lewis and Clark is like a dreaded <laughs> keyword in my friend group because they know this is going to happen. I'll only impart you with one, one thing. I was just going to say, they were a masterclass in how to deal with the indigenous people. They, uh, if we had kept our approach the way that they approached it on that expedition, uh, our country would be, our continent would be a very, very different place. Um, but there were also really disappointing things. Um, you know, 
William Clark had uh, a slave who was with them the entire expedition, who was instrumental in in the success of the expedition. It could not have possibly been more important. Um, and so as you're hearing the story, you're like, oh, I can't wait for them to get back. All the, all the crew are getting all these riches and they're getting land and all these rewards for successfully doing this. Uh, I can't wait for, um, for him to be given his freedom. Um, his name was York. And he didn't get it. He didn't get it. William Clark kept him as, as his slave for the rest of his life. So anyway, we're not here to talk about Lewis and Clark. But all of that to say... I have been obsessed with adventure uh, since I was a little kid. And I think that's why I enjoy trail running. I really enjoy fast packing. I love when I can like take a quick little bivy or a, a, a little, little tarp and just go sleep on a rock somewhere and then get up and keep going the next morning. I love that. It really scratches that, that adventure itch for me. So you ask a simple question, which was what motivates me to run. <laughs> In true Jeffrey fashion, I did not give you a simple answer, but there. Well, is. I don't think that's a simple question. That's like the whole basis for this podcast. Um, this podcast was created because I'm fascinated and curious about why do people do hard things and what can we learn from people doing hard things. The first time I ever like hypothesized about having this podcast, I was talking with Zach Miller in 2018 and Zach was running 150 miles a week at the time. And I was like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you doing this? And he put his fork down and talked for 10 minutes straight. And I find that there's so much to learn from people who have figured out the process of getting somewhere. Um, there was some Instagram real audio that's like, those who, who understand the process or love the hike, more than the summit will get further than those who love just the summit. So like the process that I, somebody tweeted that there's nothing I talk more about than process versus outcome. And that's definitely true. But the point is, I feel that no matter what level anyone is at, those who have figured out how to enjoy the process, people should learn from them and people should learn like how they got to that point. Um, and you're very much in that place. Um, yeah, I can't which, imagine if I didn't enjoy the process, I never, I never would have gotten here. And I think part of the reason, you know, I, I might have left off the biggest motivator for running, which you mentioned some pretty big just, ones. I did, I did, um, and and again, like I said, they've they've changed. In the beginning, it was very much just an avoidance of death. Um, but I also really enjoy proving myself and other people wrong. Um, and again, I, I, it's not like it's not like this like gay ginger theater indoor kid narrative was like pushed on me. That's what that's that's that that was my vibe. Like that's what I had, and I was fine with it. That's that was my goal. Like that was that was what I wanted. Like it's a, I, I don't want to portray it as though there was some internal struggle. But that being said, it is so rewarding to. To, to have these moments, whether it's a training run or a hundred miler that I didn't think I could finish. It's so fun to have these moments of realization where I'm like, oh, you know what? As it turns out, I'm kind of a badass and nobody is more surprised by that than me. And that's, that's, that's so rewarding. That is so, that is so, I love when people meet me and they, they get to know me and then I reveal like, oh yeah, well I was in the mountains for a few days this weekend doing 98 miles and they're like, minds are melts. Like I love that. I love being, um, 
I love defying expectations. How about that? That's that's what it is. I love being what people think I'm not supposed to be. <laughs> uh, a, a ginger kid from rural Missouri is not supposed to move to New York and pursue a Broadway career. Uh, six foot two, 340 pound ginger lumberjack is not supposed to be running 100 mile ultra marathons. Um, you know, all, uh, every, everything through my life, you can you can kind of identify as a, a weirdly desperate attempt to be the opposite of what everyone thinks or wants me to be. So I don't know why I have that bug, but it's a it's a major motivator for running. I love that feeling of proving myself and other people wrong. Do you think that that plays into the representation aspect, and do you think about? people seeing what you're doing and thinking, wow, I can do that too. Yeah, I hope so. Because, you know, that's why I made my film. Um, Once is enough available on Amazon Prime. Um, That's why I made it. Because when I got into running, it's my style, but I consumed everything. Like I said, I watched every single movie, every single book. I read all the blogs. I looked at all the training plans. I just like, I dove in head first and I kept finding these incredibly uh, inspiring stories of elite athletes accomplishing these crazy things, you know, running hundred milers and ridiculous amounts of time doing huge through hikes, you know, all these just like really amazing things. But I didn't see any chubby middle-aged ginger dudes uh, just getting by. (laughs) I didn't see their stories of them like, just like, overhauling their life just to, to get across the finish line by the cutoff. And I just started to realize that um, there was a, a half of the demo that wasn't being reached out to. Not that everyone doesn't enjoy, again, and isn't inspired by watching the best of the best do what they do. But I think there's also a lot of value in watching someone like me who, with a different personality, would probably be too self-conscious, too scared, too intimidated, to all these things to even go out onto a trail. And I thank God that I am a, a space cadet, that I'm aloof, that I'm what, whatever it is that, uh, that, that allows me to not feel that same pressure. Um, I think the universe for it, because I think it's allowed me to show that to other people. I, I had a YouTube channel for a while and I was converting a school bus into an RV. And I started making videos for this YouTube channel about, you know, how to do this, how to renovate this part, how to install this. And it did fine, but it never felt right. Like it never felt authentic. It felt like I was totally posing. It's major imposter syndrome. And I finally had a moment of realization where I was like, what am I doing? Like, I am not an expert in this stuff. I'm figuring it out and I'm portraying myself as though I know what I'm doing. But it doesn't, it doesn't feel right. And it's not, it's not working, working. And so I just completely switched to my mindset. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be honest. I don't have any effing clue what I'm doing. I just watched a YouTube video and I know enough to be dangerous. Let's turn on the camera and y'all can watch me see if I can figure this out. And it was so much more authentic. It was so much more interesting. And so that's how I've approached uh, my social media and everything else with running because I realized that like there's no value in me making Instagram reels about the top 10 shoes for this, the five things you must eat before a run. I might know those things. I might know a lot about some of those things, but it's just not me. It doesn't, it's, it's not authentic. What is much more authentic is for me to pick up the camera, 
shove some food in my mouth and get to the trail because I'm running late and just show you what that normal life is like. Show you when my runs go bad. Show you the blood running down my inner thighs because I bought new running shorts the day before a 20 mile run and then was in the middle of, I had no, I was in the middle of the mountains and had no choice but to run 10 miles back out and literally had blood running down my thighs. Like, I think there's value in showing people that like, there are normal people doing this too. And your, your chafed thighs, your bloody nipples, your vomiting, the time you shit your pants on the trail, it happens to all of us. None of us, aside from a very small percentage of runners, are these gorgeous, fit gazelles gliding over marathon finish lines in you know six minutes. Like That does exist, but the bulk of, of runners in this country are way more like me than they are whoever won the Boston Marathon last week. There are way more of me trying to figure out how to run than there are those. So I just, I think it's, I think I find a lot of purpose in that. I think I find a lot of purpose in showing people that it's not as intimidating as it seems. It's not this judgy, it can be in some regards, but it is not this judgmental elitist world. Um, So if you want to run, go run, go run, and we'll mess up together. We'll figure it out together. Yes. If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today, can you do me a favor? Can you pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? It helps other people find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. Is it a good market to buy a home in? What about to sell a home? What even goes on in the housing market? How do you even keep track? Well, good news for you. You don't have to know all the answers if you're interested in buying or selling your home because you can just work with the best realtor around, Lauren Daniels. Whether you're thinking of buying or selling your home, Lauren is your go-to. She treats every client with care and helps make what could be a very scary process, dare I say, fun. Lauren helps you get organized and stay on top of important deadlines and guides you towards the right home for you instead of pushing you towards something that doesn't feel right. Even if you're not ready yet or you're not in the Denver or Boulder area, we highly recommend following Lauren on Instagram because she's always sharing great information about the housing market. Give her a follow at lauren.in.colorado on Instagram. And if you're already ready to start the conversation, give her a shout at ldaniels at milehighmodern.com and let her know we sent you. That's ldaniels at milehighmodern.com. And so some brands have agreed with you in this pursuit and now you're a sponsored runner. What's What was that journey like? It's absolutely bonkers. 10 years ago, I wouldn't exist. I would not have this platform. I wouldn't be talking to you now. You wouldn't know me from Joe Schmo because companies weren't investing in, in, in me, in, my, in, my, in what I represent 10 years ago. Now the running world has changed. I mean, running has exploded. I mean, you can look at race entries over the last 15, 20 years. I mean, the whole whole market, apparel, shoes, everything is running is just continuing to explode year year over year. Um, And I think with that came a demographic shift in the running world where the traditional running world uh, of pro athletes uh, still very much exists. But this like... Average Joe, every everyday Jane running their first marathon has just exploded, and I th- I think these companies who you know previously probably found a lot of value in focusing on marketing towards elite runners um, 
that's shifted. I think now there's a, um, a almost frantic attempt in the running industry to to reach out to and pull all of these uh, unconventional runners in into the space and reach out to them. Um, and so, yeah, I uh, I started working with Brooks a year ago. They they reached out. Uh, I already am very aligned with with their core values of the company, uh, especially in terms of diversity and inclusion in the running community. Um, and then on top of that, they make you know the best of the best. Their their shoes and apparel are are absolutely bonkers. And so I really couldn't. I don't think I could have hit the jackpot more in in crossing paths with them at the right time. And there are other companies doing it, um, so I wouldn't say they're the only one. But uh, I haven't seen very many other major players in the running shoe and apparel space make the same um, emotional and uh, financial commitment to to this segment of of the running world. Um, it's not just it's not just lip service. They are they're investing in us. They're also investing in in the causes that we care about. Like it's just it's just it. I could not have gotten luckier. It's just so much more than hey, can we sponsor you for a year to to wear our shoes? And I love that. I I thrive on more deep, integrated, long term relationships and. Uh, I just, I just feel like I hit the jackpot, and it's. Uh, I'm, I'm getting used to it now, which I kind of hate. But when it first happened, I, I could barely wrap my head around it. I could barely wrap my head around the fact that I was a sponsored runner. What? <laughs> like you don't even have to talk to me. Like just, just look at me and like. Ah, wow, really? That's 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 the world that we live in now. Like how freaking cool is that? How how cool is that? It's very cool. What does it mean to you? Well, it it like very much satisfies that need to be something that I'm not expected to be. If you think that my heart doesn't just explode, Every time I get to tell somebody that I'm a sponsored runner with Brooks, you're dead wrong. Like it's just <laughs> like just the just the ability to say that is is just the ability to have that in my Instagram profile. I I love defying expectations in that regard. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. It's 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 a little overwhelming. Um, and then there's so much imposter syndrome that comes with it too, because then I see other people who are doing similar things to me, and I'm like. Oh, their content is better, or oh, they're really more invested in their in their cause. Everyone on my team at Brooks are all cause based runners, um, so we all have. You know, I'm working for inclusion in the LGBTQ plus community and more uh, size inclusion, um, but we're all we're we're all passionate about uh, some other segment of of diversity and inclusion. Um, so it just means a lot to to see a, such a major player investing um, in, in us. I think it's pretty cool. The craziest thing about imposter syndrome. So I've done over 250 episodes of this podcast, and it's probably in reference 25 percent of the time. And these people are like literal Olympians who are objectively at the top of the top, and even Olympic medalists have imposter syndrome. I had Brad Stolberg on the podcast and he literally wrote the book on peak performance. That's what it's called. <laughs> and and I regret not talking more about imposter syndrome with him and, and how 
he's founded and his research because it exists with everyone. And I find that to be so fascinating that like those who have achieved these objective levels of success still deal with it. Yeah. It's so weird to, um, yeah, I don't know. It's weird to meet your idols. Scott Jurek is on the same team as me at Brooks and, um, pretty rude, but they didn't clue me into that before the first zoom call that we all got on. <laughs> and I'm not like, I don't, I don't get starstruck. Like there's not, I, I live in LA. I was a bartender for ages. I have served all the celebrities and I just, I, it's not something that like I usually like freak out about, but there are a few like specific people that I would just like, if, when I meet Dolly Parton, I will be in tears <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, Kathy Jimmy, the actress from like Hocus Pocus. I don't know if you know her. Buzz Aldrin. I wanted to be an astronaut so hard when I was a little kid. Um, like Buzz Aldrin, I would just probably soil my panties on the spot. Um, and Scott Jurek is one of them. Scott Jurek is one of them that like, you know, maybe unexpectedly I, I need to be prepared for. And I had to leave the call. I was like, Oh, just like <laughs> shut my computer. I like, I couldn't, I was like, I wasn't prepared for this. I would have done my hair if I knew Scott was going to be here. <laughs> and throughout the course of the year, uh, it's just been so interesting to get to know him and like, have him transition from like such idol status in my mind to like a friend. That's just so weird. Like it turns out he's actually a normal person. He eats, he poops, all that stuff. <laughs> I, I, who knew? I've seen um, him do one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Luckily only one for me too. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just, it's just, it's been such an interesting experience because I've never, I've never been through that process before of getting to know on a personal level somebody who I put on such a like unattainably high pedestal. So yeah, it's 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 weird. And I'm sure he um I'm sure there are things that he's super insecure about. I cannot imagine what, but I'm I'm sure he has doubts. And I know that he's scared of things when he starts a race or starts an FKT of a 3,000 mile trail. Um <laughs> So it's, it's, we all have it. Like it, it's, it's there for everyone. Um, I think there's a lot of value in, in learning how to give it the middle finger and keep going anyway. So how do you do that? You know, I don't know. I do a lot of motivational speaking and that is one, one component that I've, I've spent so much time trying to, to nail down. Um, and it's hard it's just hard because there's really not a way to ever get rid of it unless you get to the point of having just some grandiose, narcissistic, uh, otherworldly self-confidence. Um, it's unavoidable. So maybe that's, that's the a question. Good thing? Maybe, maybe it's not avoidable. Maybe the question is like, how, how do you deal with it? And I don't know. I, I, I think I mentioned it earlier, but I... You know what? It's probably all the, you know, all the perks that come with being a white man who grew up in a middle class Missouri family. But I, I kind of don't care, and I kind of never, I, I, I kind of never have. I kind of have always. Um, I don't know if aloof is the right word, but you know, people talk about like getting bullied in school and as a kid and things, and I don't really remember any of that, and I can't imagine that it didn't happen. I think I just was so fortunate to not care. <laughs> like, I just don't, I don't think I ever cared. And I don't know how to, I don't know. 
I don't know how somebody can just not care. Um, I do still care. Uh, imposter syndrome certainly still pops up, but um, I don't know. I, I guess the, the confidence of a white man is <laughs> what gets me through it. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I, I compare myself to, to, to my friends, um, friends who grew up in different states or in different cities or in different uh, economic situations. Um, and I was really, really lucky. And in, in every way, I am the poster boy for white privilege, to be honest. Um, and I think it's really important to be, to be aware of that. Um, but so, I think, yeah, I, think I don't, I don't know what allows me to ignore my uh, imposter syndrome. Um, but I guess it has something to do with that. I guess it has something to do with growing up in a family where I was every day told that I could do whatever I wanted and I could be anything I wanted to be. And I believed it. You know, maybe maybe I'm the terrifying reality of of what uh, being blindly supportive of your children can cause. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say it worked out, but um, you referenced white privilege a couple of times. I think there's like a I I feel some obligation to like use mine, right? Like I have this platform, you have this platform. You don't really care what people think about you. I don't really care what people think about me. I don't need the podcast to pay my bills. I don't need social media to pay my bills. I can say whatever the hell I want with like pretty limited repercussions. seems like you're in a similar position. And it's like, to me, I feel a responsibility to do that because we're in that position. And like the post that we connected on, like if this podcast were all about running and I had the ability to talk to whoever I wanted, like I feel like I would be doing a disservice. There are plenty of podcasts that it just makes sense that they talk about running. That's fine. Like I'm not knocking people who do that. I feel like I need to do more and that there's a responsibility when in this position to do more. And um, I mean, I could like wax poetic on this, but I don't think that's necessary. But um, yeah, it's cool to hear the way that you're positioning it as well, coming from your background with how you live your life and go through your days and hear that like, you're like, I don't care. I'm living, I'm doing what I can. And because I can. Yeah. Well, you know, I, um, which I'm very grateful for have, uh, a somewhat unique perspective in that I grew up, you know, on a pig farm, uh, 15 minutes from the closest town, which had a population of 205 people. Uh, so I, I, I grew up in, and I'm still very connected with that world. And so I've, I very much understand rural America. I understand the values. I understand. I, I, I've lived it. I, I, I understand it. Um, subsequently, I've lived in New York and Los Angeles and Chicago and traveled extensively. And I also know the other, the other end of the spectrum. And uh, I'm really grateful for that because I think it gives me um, a lot more compassion, a lot more empathy when dealing about, especially like politics and things like that. Um, uh, no, we but, don't talk about politics. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I don't joke. either. It was a joke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, I grew up, I remember when I, you know, around the time, like I graduated from high school and I went to college. If you, if somebody had asked me, this is so embarrassing, but I think it's important to talk about. Um, if someone had said like, Hey, what's the race situation in America right now? Um, I would have genuinely, um, said, you know what? Like, I think it's pretty good. Like, I'm sure it could be a little better, but I think it's kind of over. Like, I think we kind of took care of that. Oh, 
how embarrassing. <laughs> like how, like now as a 40 year old adult, like how embarrassing, how, how, how embarrassing. And, and so I've just had a journey of, you know, going from, uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's been a, a journey and I've grown. And I think it's important me to important for me to talk about the fact that I've grown and the fact that I wasn't always, and I'm still not, I still have so much to learn. I still have moments of, of internalized racism or internalized homophobia, um, that pops out. Um, and I don't think it ever is, is rid of your body. I think all you can do is learn how to deal with those things when they pop up and understand what's causing them and understand how to consciously, you know, make the choices that you want to make in terms of how you react to it. And, you know, I'm a white dude. So there's a, a side of things that feels really uncomfortable for me to talk about race. Um, number one, I don't always, some imposter syndrome. Number one, I don't always know if I'm the best person to be talking about it. Um, sometimes I'm sure that I'm not, but what I do know is that, um, we're really diving in deep. I'm sharing some opinions here. I mean, you know, at the at the, at the root of the cause, at least in in this country, you know, if we're going to have to to pull out a demographic, it's white men, and white men don't want to listen to anything anyone has to say. No white man is going to be told what to do. But if there is a chance that they might listen to what somebody has to say, it's going to be coming from another white man. So I feel this sense of responsibility to like to have to talk about it because I know that there's a lot of, of people out there who will, um, you know, I could sit next to my friend, Alison Desir, who, uh, is just a, a just a brilliant powerhouse on this topic. She she is just uh, an encyclopedia of, of of information, inspiration around diversity and inclusion. Nobody knows that world and that space more than she does. Um, and I can sit next to her and have a conversation with a lot of different people, and they are going to hear the exact same words coming out of my mouth completely differently then they hear them coming out of her mouth. They may not even hear them coming out of her mouth. They might hear them, but they might not receive them. So I just, again, I just feel like I have to talk about it because there's so many people who will, will, will hear it from me differently than they, they might hear it from somebody else. Yes. Um, I had a conversation with her last fall on the podcast and it was one oh, of my good. favorite conversations. And we, we talked about the exact same thing, right? Like, the problem is that the, the problem is white men in America, right? And uh, like this internalized aggression or or like a need to be something, and uh, the stigma around mental health and therapy. Just like deal with it, pick it, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and figure it out. Versus talking to someone about it. And so I've been a long time proponent of therapy. I've been a long time used like consumer of therapy. I started when I was in third grade and that's why I'm here today. And I did it pretty consistently through middle school, picked it up again uh, in 2018 and have been seeing the same therapist like one to three times a month since 2018. And it's like that this is the way forward, like exactly what you're saying, speaking to the people who need to be, who need to hear it from the people that they'll listen too. Um, I reached out to to BetterHelp, the the therapy company, because I was like, the problem that I hear from most people is they don't know how to get started. They don't know what the price is. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to um, they don't know how to how to do it. They don't know anything around. So I was like, I've heard them on a bunch of podcasts. I was like, maybe I can 
promote them and maybe I can learn a little bit more about them. And so I'm hoping to be able to like have something to share with the audience, like for that platform, because it's, it's scalable. It's like, you understand the process. They, you tell them the type of person you want to see. Uh, this is not a, this is not intended to be an ad for them, <laughs> but maybe one day it will be. But, um, I'm, I'm just such a, like, go to therapy. It's so fucking awesome. Yeah, I think I mean our our young men in this country are broken. We are we are not we are not I don't think we're doing nearly enough to dismantle this weird toxic masculinity that that says, you know, men can't be emotional that that men are the the more rational of the genders. Like oh, just all these all these things that um they're not they're not doing our our young men uh, any favors. Um, go to therapy, boys <laughs> and girls. But it's daunting. Like, it's yeah. hard. I mean, it's it's hard to find a therapist. It's not hard to find a therapist, but it's daunting. Like, oh, but what if I don't click with them? That's okay. Find a different one. It's, it's like expensive. dating. It can be expensive. There are more affordable options out there, like BetterHelp and things like that. It is. It is certainly a consideration. Um, you know, I mean, and that's a great example of it, you know, starting systematically. I mean, the fact that so many comprehensive high-end health insurance plans uh, still omit a, a large swath of, of mental health services boggles my mind. Um, but, but that's, you know, that's, that's the world we're, we're in. It brings up an interesting thing that happened when I released my film. My, my film um, was coming out and, and we were chatting with the PR and the marketing teams. And we were just, you know, planning like, you know, who's our, all that typical branding marketing stuff. Who's our target demo? Who, who's the perfect person for this to watch this film, blah, blah, blah. And we thought we had our, our target demo nailed down because my, my demo, you know, through social media is very uh, pretty specifically like 30 to 50 year old women. (laughs) That's like 92% of my, my follower base. Um, and so that's where we landed. I'm like, well, this is this is for them. This is for Judy, who's you know 48 in Missouri, whose kids just went to college, who is trying to get fit and wants to run her first marathon. This is for her. But as we were doing, you know, we taped the the stand up special for the show, and we did lots of screenings during the editing process. And after each of those. Um, one of two things would happen. Um, one, men would come up to me and would just like really authentically and openly share how much they loved it. And, you know, oh, they lost their mom at this age. And, and you know, just, just really uh, authentically and openly in a raw kind of way being vulnerable to a stranger who they just watched on stage. Um, so that was interesting. And then probably more common... Uh, which isn't surprising given our, our our conversation. More common was wives and girlfriends who came up to me or DM'd me later and said, "Hey, like my husband would never, he would never share something like this with you, but he lost his mom when he was five, and he was a blubbering mess the whole film. Like he couldn't catch his breath. Like, and wow. and I started sharing these." stories with the team and it became immediately apparent that like this was not a film for for 48 year old judy in missouri this was a film for mama's boys wow this i this was a film for every man who's ever loved his mom that's what it was 
And that didn't click with us because we were like, oh, no, men aren't emotional. They're not vulnerable. They're they're not going to enjoy this. I mean, there's moments I had three different men thank me for crying on camera, which is the hardest part to watch during the editing process. I had to watch that freaking film probably hundreds of times. And it is so uncomfortable to watch yourself ugly cry on a giant screen in a movie theater. I tried multiple times to get the, the editors to take it out. Um, and they're like, they politely refuse. Um, and I'm so glad I did because I didn't realize how impactful that would be. Just just to see an adult man, uh, quote unquote, who was comfortable crying in public, which I wasn't. Like, clearly I figured it out. Um, but for that to be so like, wall dismantling for a for a, a typical rural dude adult man farmer from missouri if that's all it took for him to take down that wall and like say like oh hey thanks for telling your story like it really affected me i cried um i mean that's 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 huge i wear that that badge of honor if i somehow got through the suit of armor uh of a handful of of dudes um with my film then success then then i i, I call that a win so yeah, I, I, maybe we're right on topic, but I've kind of taken us <laughs> through <laughs> racism and toxic masculinity. I'm really on a social crusade today, aren't I? <laughs> well, just trying to check the boxes of what that guy hated in all in the podcast. Um, <laughs> right, right, hit, right. Need to hit every topic in this one. Um, jokes, <laughs> jokes aside, um, when Justin Grunewald was losing his wife Gabe a couple of years ago, and watching him process grief while she was still alive and after she died and how open that how open he was with his feelings it enabled me to go through a similar process with my grandfather like 3 months later and mm. like feel so different than i imagined i would have in that process and just like it's exactly what you said like someone else did it and then i did it and then it, like that opened up so many doors in terms of friendships and building relationships. And like the, the funniest outcome of that is like Kara Goucher and I talk about that like once a month, maybe like that exact topic, losing a family member or like the strength of, of that relationship or family. And like to be able to have those types of conversations, like that's the stuff that matters, right? And I'm not sure I would have felt so comfortable talking like that or saying those things without seeing what Justin went through and seeing how he processed it. And so I'll have to watch that movie, but I'll have to do it with a box of tissues because, yeah, my mom is amazing and I love her. And um, holy shit. Wow. I was getting the chills when you were when you were uh, describing that. Well, it's this counterintuitive thing where. I don't know, like mother-son relationships are so unique, often so strong, but then we have this sense of like not being able to care when we lose them. Like we can't, we can't cry, like, or at least we can't let people see us cry. We can't, we can't be sad. Like, you know, what have we done? <laughs> how have we ended up in, in that position? I, I know how, <laughs> we don't have time for that, but I think it's really important to I don't know. I'm not going to solve the problem, but if I can, if my film has made even a handful of, of dudes realize that it's okay to be emotional when they lose, you know, one of, if not the most important people in their lives, then I've, I've succeeded. Uh, I've totally. succeeded. 
I could go on for hours with you, but I, I don't think we can, we can do that oh today. Gosh, unfortunately, an hour. these always go so fast. <laughs> um, I do want to ask one other question because it's, it's about something you've referenced and, and just talked about, and we've, we've mm-hmm. touched on it a handful of times. The topic of, of success, I, I've used the word or the phrase objective success a few times in this podcast because I find a huge difference between objective and subjective measures of success. And I'm curious how you define the word success and the relationship you have with, with that word. Oh, that's a good question. It's, it's hard because, um, especially living in Los Angeles, especially in the entertainment industry, um, there's always, there's always more, there's always bigger projects to get cast in. There's always bigger brands to work with. There's always bigger houses to buy. There's, there's always, you know, you could stay on that hamster wheel forever. Um, but I'm simultaneously so grateful because <laughs> it's happened a couple times now. It happened again a couple weeks ago where, you know, I was, a, I was a dancer as a kid. Most people wouldn't know this, but I took tap dance lessons when I was five. And then when I was in middle school, I started like pretty intensely taking tap, ballet and jazz. Um, so I come from like, obviously not like... <laughs> professional dance standards, but, um, I come from a dance background. So I had this, you know, I've had a couple of these moments where I was out in the Mojave desert. I was sitting on the back of my truck with a beer. I had just finished shooting a bunch of different things for Instagram. And I was so, I had this moment of like, being so overcome with gratitude that I started crying in the middle of the desert on the back of my truck with a beer (laughs) because it just hit me that like, if someone were to say, Hey, what's your perfect job situation? It would be really, really close to me saying, I want to take my camera gear to the middle of nowhere to somewhere beautiful I want to be creative and create a bunch of shit that's going to make people laugh or make them motivated or, you know, something going to make them something. Um, and then sit on the back of my truck with a beer, like, and get paid for it. Like, and so I just have had these moments where like, it's just like, I, I, I literally could have like written this specifically down and it is so uh, absurd and I'm so filled with gratitude that it's, it's my reality. So I just, you know, it's, all those like trying to be present and in the moment, but I do try to make a really conscious effort, especially like in those moments to just appreciate how freaking cool it is, how freaking lucky I am, how like much I wanted this three years ago. And I'm just trying to enjoy it. I'm just trying so hard not to take it for granted, not to like be looking to the next thing. Uh, But that's hard. That's really hard. But I don't know what success is. It's there's so there's too many there's too many levers and dials that measure success and adjust success, and it's so subjective. Um, I think for me, I am earning a comfortable salary doing something that I would kill to do, even if I wasn't getting paid for it. So I call that success. But success comes in a lot of different forms. It's different for everybody. But for me, I can't imagine how I could get luckier. <laughs> than I am right now. Amazing. 
Well, this was a blast. Uh, As always. Hopefully we can we can share some miles on trails at some point soon in, in yeah, this year. Yeah, we're to California anytime soon. I'm in Col- uh, Colorado almost every summer, so I'll be around. Perfect. There are cool places to go out here. Uh, for those who don't follow you yet, where can we find you on your corner of the internet? Oh, at Jeffrey Binney, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, B-I-N-N-E-Y on all the, the socials. Um, my film, Once is Enough, is available on Amazon Prime and other platforms as well. Amazing. Jeffrey, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. We'll see you out there. Yeah, it was a blast. Thanks for having me. Of course. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo is created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village. 